Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Rudy Giuliani. Chicago, Chicago, that toddling town. Chicago, Chicago, I will show you around. I love it. Well, big news happening in Chicago. Welcome to the Rudy Giuliani Show. Rudy is off today. I am Dr. Maria filling in. Big shoes to fill, but hopefully I'll make him proud. Well, we were all eyes were on Chicago yesterday. You have to love our American cities, and we've watched Chicago for years go down the hill. Increasing crime, increasing shootings every weekend. And Mayor Lori Lightfoot seemed so disconnected. She really didn't seem to be in tune with the people. And sure enough, she finished third yesterday. The way they do it in Chicago is you have to get a majority and those that get to a certain percentage would go to a runoff. And she finished third with 16.89% of the vote behind former Chicago public school CEO Paul Valis at 33.9% and Cook County Commissioner Brandon Johnson with 20.32%. Listen to what a Chicago resident said. Cut two, please. Diana, this was an annihilation, simply put. 83% of the voters said, we do not want Lori Lightfoot when you add up uh, the totals and see where she she landed there. Not a lot of support there. Is this a mandate against woke mayors like Lori Lightfoot that and the harm that they are causing blue cities like Chicago? I, I believe that it is. I believe that people have just had enough. And um, my message has been go out and change regime regime change is the only way we're going to fix this. And I think this was a loud and clear message that 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 this woke agenda is not working for Chicago. A recent poll shows that 61 percent of Chicago residents disapproved of Lori Lightfoot's performance as mayor. Diana, do you know one single person that voted for Lightfoot? And if so, what was their reasoning? Actually, I do not know a single person who voted for Lightfoot, um, especially after I got mugged uh, in January or December in one of the nicest neighborhoods of the city. Well, Diane is speaking for a lot of Chicago residents, but I tell you, I've been disappointed before. I thought California had the chance to get rid of Newsom, and they didn't. They had a chance to get rid of a very soft on crime DA and they didn't. So I've been perplexed in the past, but certainly Chicagoans came through for their city. They want a better city. Both of these candidates that are going to the runoff are Democrats. 
But Mr. Valis is, um, you would almost think, listening to his campaign, that he was a Republican. He's all about law and order, whereas his opponent going into the runoff, Johnson, is about defunding the police and not filling the 1,700 police positions open. So there is a stark contrast between the two. And again, Chicagoans have their future in their hands. They got to get out and vote. They got to get involved. They got to make sure they have integrity in their election. I have hope that for Chicago, whenever I see the people say enough is enough, I think that's a good thing. And that we show we have power in numbers and we can make a difference. Well, a lot going on in the Supreme Court. I don't know how you stand on this uh, student loan debate. There's a lot of arguments over it, but it did go to the U.S. Supreme Court. And there's a lot of skepticism already from the Supreme Court justices about President Joe Biden's move to forgive, get this, $430 billion in student debt. Now, there's a couple of issues here. One, he did this by executive order. He's claiming he has the right to do it under the HEROES Act, which he doesn't. There isn't any emergency. And we're not a dictatorship. So if we allow a president to unilaterally do these kind of things without Congress, what are we but a dictatorship? Congress is there, they're the purse string holders, and even Nancy Pelosi in the past, when this was being discussed about potentially forgiving student loan, she said it's unconstitutional. You can't, he can't do that, only the Congress can. I assume that the Supreme Court will reach that conclusion because it's pretty clear cut, but we won't know to the end of June. We don't believe that they're going to have a result on this. You know, some of the arguments I've heard, which I agree with. So you take a group of people and you forgive their student loan. Uh, we haven't done that in the past. Why this select group? And what about people who decided you know what, I can't take on student debt. I'm going to go in a different route. Who made decisions because they didn't want to take on that debt. Or our tradespeople who go and do different type of education. And what about them who scrimped and saved and did it in a different way? This is just wrong in so many ways. And does President Biden know this? Right. He should. He's been in politics a very long time. He probably knows it's wrong, but right. He can use this as to this group of people. Keep voting for me. Keep voting for us. Democrats. We tried. It was that darn conservative Supreme Court. It's those darn Republicans. Well, you know, in the midterm, certainly the young vote came out for him because of a lot of promises. Hopefully the young people are starting to do some research, starting to know the laws of the land and knowing nothing's for free, right? This isn't for free. Taxpayers are would be paying for this. We can't even afford it anymore. We are so in debt. We're printing money like it's, there's no tomorrow. Janet Yellen should be fired. Half the cabinet should be impeached. And uh, we're giving more money to Ukraine with no, no accountability where that money is going. Uh, So it's just 
a terrible, terrible idea, and hopefully the Supreme Court will see right through this political act. You know, yesterday on the show, we talked a lot about COVID because um, even though it's been several years since COVID first emerged, it was in really November of 2019, maybe even, I, I believe, October, it started circulating a mysterious virus in Wuhan, China. I know I was the CEO of a hospital at the time. I was reading medical journals, so I certainly knew about it. I saw some particular x-rays of it. And um, this wet market story came out of nowhere. And I remember even repeating it because I was told it. And then I'm like, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Wuhan, why does that sound familiar to me? Oh, yeah, because in 2013, I read in Nature magazine that the scientist, uh, Shi Zheng Li, they call her the bat woman, was manipulating the bat coronavirus at the Wuhan lab. So, oh, okay. So I started telling people that's where it came from. Certainly uh, other people, I know Pompeo at the time, believed it was coming from uh, the Wuhan lab. And we now know that Dr. Fauci and Dr. Collins were giving grant money to EcoHealth, who was also funding this gain-of-function work in Wuhan. And get this, Brett Baer interviewed Christopher Ray recently and Christopher Ray agrees. Cut 14, please. Now there's this Department of Energy study uh, that says it's likely uh, to have come from a lab leak, although the confidence is low. It cites the FBI. What is the determination by the FBI? So, uh, as you note, Brett, uh, the FBI has for quite some time now assessed that the origins of the pandemic are most likely a potential lab incident in Wuhan. Let me step back for a second. You know, the FBI has folks, agents, professionals, analysts, virologists, microbiologists, et cetera, who focus specifically on the dangers of biological threats, which include things like novel viruses like COVID, uh, and the concerns that, that in the wrong hands, some bad guys, a hostile nation state, a terrorist, a criminal, the, the threats that those could pose. So here you're talking about a potential leak from a Chinese government-controlled lab that killed millions of Americans. And that's precisely what that capability uh, was designed for. And what um, Christopher Ray is talking about is bioweapons. During the Bush administration after 9-11, there was a lot of money put forth to emergency preparedness. And it was thought that we were probably going to have some kind of chemical attack the next time. So a lot of healthcare workers, their emergency preparedness teams were sent for education, week-long intensive education. We learned that over 26 countries had bioweapon labs So using a virus, a fungus, a bacteria as a bioweapon. And guess what? COVID-19, you could think it was a lab leak and they were doing gain of function to see what would happen if this coronavirus jumped from the bat to humans. And at the same time, they're working on a vaccine. That's what most gain of function is is about. And then there's a whole other program about bioweapons. And um, this particular lab was definitely run by the CCP military. I interviewed a whistleblower that had to leave China that 
she showed me documents. I don't know if they're real or not. I'm very, very skeptical about everything. But they were definitely about a bioweapon lab in using these viruses as bioweapons. And I can tell you it's not the first time. In 1977, many of you may remember, we had something that was called the Russian flu. It was started in the Soviet Union, and it was during the Cold War. So we didn't really call them out on this, but it was a leak from a bioweapons lab. How do we know it was a bioweapons lab and not just doing gain of function? Because this is really the interesting part. The strain of H1N1 was almost identical strain to a previous pandemic in like 1949, 1950. So they were saving that. And did you know in the French and Indian War, we used smallpox against some of the Indians. We put it on blankets and threw it at them. So this is not a new type of weaponry. Japan successfully used um, this type of viral chemical uh, viral warfare against China. So we're going to see this more and more. And we have identified these what's called level four labs. There's about 59 of them in the world. And there's some we won't know about because it's run by like the Chinese military. You know, we may know about them. We may not. We may know what's in the Soviet Union or Ukraine. We may not. But that's why we always need to be prepared. We need great intelligence. And that's why we need to start trusting our FBI. And it's not just us saying, okay, we forgive you for all the lies you've told us in the last few years. It's probably going further than that. I will always, always be indebted to President Donald Trump for opening my eyes to the deep state. You know, my my husband had always said, you know, there's a real deep state. I don't trust no anybody, no matter what party they're from. And I'm like, oh, no, there's good and bad people. Majority are good. They're not corrupt. But what do we see? We see our government so corrupted so political that they shut down all discussion about COVID in the origins. They shut down and censored really good doctors, nurse practitioners about the effects of the COVID-19 shot. Well, make sure you stay with us. We'll be right back. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The Rudy Giuliani Show. Welcome to the Rudy Giuliani Show. Rudy is off today. I am Dr. Maria. You may know me from being his co-host on Sundays on Uncovering the Truth. And Rudy will be back tomorrow. We are taking calls at 1-800-848-9222. As you may know, Mayor Rudy Giuliani visited East Palestine last week. He went for a couple reasons. One, the mayor of East Palestine wanted to pick Rudy's brain on what to do in crisis management, how to comfort the people. And I have to say, Rudy is really good at comforting people. I will never forget during 9-11 
I was in New Hampshire, and every day I would look forward to Rudy coming out and reassuring us that everything was going to be okay. We're going to move forward. And uh, it's important, right? People need to know, even if it's bad news, because number one, they don't want you to be insincere or lie to them, but they want to know you care. And Rudy felt for these people because... At that time, Pete Buttigieg had not gone out. It took him 20 days to go to East Palestine. And the people there really felt they weren't getting the proper advice. There wasn't transparency. Well, I have to say, Mr. Regan of the, um, I think he's with the EPA or the U.S. Environment. Yeah, I think he's with the EPA. He's been out there quite a bit. And it's starting to change a little bit. At first, it was the water's fine, the air is fine, all the tests are negative. Well, now they're looking differently at these tests, and they're saying, don't have your children even play in the creeks. Don't have them go towards any of the water. So they're starting to look at this, and there there is toxic waste in the air, probably in the water. Definitely, most of these people have well water in this vicinity, and it takes a little bit to seep into the ground. So that needs to be continually monitored. The other thing that's happening, too, is what do we do with all this waste? It uh, started being shipped to different states, and they put a halt on that. So now it's being shipped to different sites in Ohio. But the people of East Palestine... They, they deserve transparency. They really do. They, to me, they put them back in their homes too early. Definitely we have to go after who owns the trains to, for compensation. But in the meantime, the government should fund these people going into hotels or different homes until they can do a proper assessment and clean everything. They decided to do a controlled burn, which put all these toxic elements into the air. It's not funny. I giggle because I don't know if that was the right answer. I understand when there's a necessity to do controlled burns. So I have to trust, I guess, that the experts thought this was the best way. I I, I don't know. It It seems odd to me that you're going to put a plume of toxic materials up in the air and then the wind takes it and it goes, you know, it's in Pennsylvania now. Pennsylvania was close anyway, but it's definitely they have those toxic materials now in in um, in Pennsylvania. So hopefully they could get some comfort. This is almost like a standoff with President Biden, though. President Biden said, I'm not going to East Palestine. And he's digging in. Why? I'll never know. Take a quick trip there and just say, I hear you people. I'm going to keep on top of the EPA. I care about you. All right. Hold on, people. We'll be right back after this short break. The Rudy Giuliani Show. Welcome back to the Rudy Giuliani Show. Rudy Giuliani is off today, and I am Dr. Maria covering, substituting for the great mayor. Well, we have quite a few people um, on the phone today. Let's go with Tony. Hello, Dr. Maria. Hi, Tony. How, How are, are you? you? I'm doing fine. I, I got two two things I want to bring up to your attention. Surely. The first one has the, my daughter gave me the idea. She said, Dad, why don't they just, with the student loans, Forgive the interest and just let the people pay the principal off, and and that would end that issue. 
You know, and, and the second issue okay. would be with President Biden. I think people um, underestimate this man. He may not be the smartest guy in, in the room. <laughs> yeah. But when it comes to politics, he's very street smart. I think he played uh, young people before the election. And he, he knew, being in government over 40 years, right. that the president of the United States doesn't handle the money issues. It's right. Congress. Yep. And he played these young people saying, I'm going to forgive you these student loans. I, he knew down the road that he would be a challenged in the courts. And this would happen after the elections. And that's exactly what's happening. I think you're right, Tony. Um, and those are both great points. As far as the interest payments, I believe even that would have to go through co- Congress. We can't start allowing presidents by executive order to be doing, you know, anything with, with money. It'll all go to their political party. I, I mean, there's so much area where it could be corrupt. And I couldn't agree with you more about Biden. I think he's pretty savvy. Before, you know, how everybody's talking about he has dementia and there's something seriously wrong with him and they feel bad. You know, this poor elderly man has some form of dementia. Before that, he was corrupt. Before that, he was a liar. And I hate to be so blunt, but I want to play you a clip. Uh, um, Cut number seven. What law school did you attend, and where did you place in that class? And the other question oh, is, man. could you quickly, I, I think we I, I think I probably have a much higher IQ than you do, I suspect. I went to law school on a full academic scholarship, the only one in my, in my class uh, to have a full academic scholarship. In the first year in law school, I decided I didn't want to be in law school and ended up in the bottom two-thirds of my class and then decided I wanted to stay, went back to law school, and in fact ended up in the top half of my class. I won the international moot court competition. I was the outstanding student in the political science department at the end of my year. I graduated with three degrees from undergraduate school and 165 credits, only needed 123 <laughs> credits, and I'd be delighted to sit down and compare my IQ to yours if you'd like, Frank. So this is in 1987. He's running for president. He's in New Hampshire, my home state. I remember this vividly. That's when you could kind of count on news agencies calling out BS. And those dings you hear are all lies. <laughs> and he was known for it. He plagiarized all the time. He lied. Um, what's coming out through the laptop, and some people even knew this before uh, Hunter's laptop, that Biden sold his office and he was a very corrupt guy. His brother, James Biden, they had this little Biden empire. So um, you're right, Tony. He is savvy like a fox. I don't disagree. I want to talk about a man who owns Red Apple Media Group in WABC, a really fascinating guy. John Castamatidis was born on the Greek island of Nisros in 1948. And six months later, his people emigrated to New York City. And he went to school by day. He worked in a small grocery store by night to help his parents pay the bills. Very, very typical, especially the Greek culture. And he was just eight credits short of graduating from New York University, and he opted to work in the grocery business full time. By 25 years old, he was already a success with Ted 
Red Apple supermarkets scattered along Broadway on Manhattan's Upper West Side. Now, four decades later, the Red Apple Group has evolved into a diversified corporation that has holdings in energy, aviation, retail, real estate sectors, and over 8,000 employees with approximately 2,000 located in New York City. He is a great success, and I'm honored to talk to John Castamatidis. How are you, John? I am well. Uh, you know, the sun is shining, and uh, we're all uh, healthy, and uh, that's the most important things in life. You're surely right about that. What gave you a drive to really rise above your situation? And did you have a vision of what your grocery stores could become and evolve into? Uh, no, not really. You know, I grew up on the poor side of town. I grew up on 135th Street, which is part of Harlem, uh, near City College. And uh, I had a little five-inch television set. And... um we, uh, you know, you look at the TV set and you see uh, all the all the shows and how it is uh, on on Park Avenue or how you see it, and 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 then you you start to develop a dream of working hard and trying to to to, to move on up. And that's a great lesson, right? Especially for our young people today who are feeling overwhelmed that through hard work and dedication, you can rise above your circumstances. You have to want to work, though. I think that's the key thing. Everybody thinks it's going to be this quick handout or I want to dream I'm successful. You got to put in the work. Oh, that's one of the things I wanted to get through in the book. I'm not sure I got through with it, that there are sacrifices to be made. Mm -hmm. It isn't just saying, I'm going to work hard and become a billionaire. It's the sacrifices that go along with it. When all my friends were watching, going away on ski weekends or watching football games on weekends, I was working seven days a week. So I, I lost out somewhere yeah. and I did you know you lose out somewhere but then you you try to justify it that you made a better life uh, uh, for your family and you made a better life for uh, uh, your your kids that uh, but um, you know I I, I I I try to give my kids all the things I didn't have and sometimes that's a mistake too yeah it's a balance, right? I have a lot of guilt. I decided not to go. Uh, I decided to go to college after my third child was born and we didn't have two nickels to rub, rub together. And I missed a lot when my children were young because I was working full time, going to college full time. But it was for the betterment of the whole and for a longer game. But uh, you know what that's that's like. So how far do you want to go? I understand it sold out yesterday. It sold out in Barnes & Noble yesterday. Uh, there was no books left. I'm sure they reordered uh, for today. Uh, but uh, uh, it's available on Amazon. It's available at Barnes & Noble. You go to Amazon.com. And uh, I, I joke around with my friends. I, I say, they say to me, I said to them, buy the book, read it, and you might make a billion dollars too. <laughs> he says, well, how do I make two billion? I say, buy two books. Buy two books and read it twice. <laughs> well, I appreciate. I know you're a busy guy. Do you have any final words for us? Well, you know, it's all about uh, uh, integrity and trust. 
uh, you get the people that you do business with to, to believe in what you're doing, uh, to trust you that uh, you're, you're giving them an honest answer. And that's what it's all about. And uh, uh, if people love you and trust you, then they're going to do things for you that they don't do for anybody else. And uh, I was very lucky. I had a lot of mentors in life. Uh, I would say I had 12 mentors, and 10 of them were probably Jewish. And uh, I learned a lot from them. And everybody needs a mentor, somebody to say, this is the right direction, because in life, you, you have like 12 forks in a road, a lot of forks in a road. Mm. And you got to make sure you make that right, the right uh, uh, direction and, uh, and make the right decision. Which way it goes, zig or zag. Yeah, the right decision at the right time. And but that comes buy, with yeah, some instinct, too. Friends, buy the book. Yes. Buy the, instinct, too. Buy the book. You'll see what common sense it's all about. And you never know. You might be more successful, but at least you're going to make back the course in the book. Yeah, and I and I love it that you're sharing your expertise. That's what we all need. I'm about halfway through the book, and I can't wait to have you sign it. <laughs> well, thank you so much, and uh, we'll catch up again real soon. Excellent. Thank you, Mr. Castamatidis. You. you know, thank I just... You. Love, love, love the Greek community. I'm from Manchester, New Hampshire, and you would think, oh, New Hampshire, aren't you guys all vanilla? Actually, my city, um, it's a small city, only 120,000 people, but it's the largest city in New Hampshire, and it's extremely diverse. And one of our high schools, there's 80, 80 different languages spoken, so it's, it's surprising to some. But on the east side, it was always known of as the Greek section, because there was a lot of Greeks, especially from northern Greece, that came to work in the mills. At the turn of the last century, our mills were some of the most productive mills in the whole country. We were leading in the cotton industry for, for worldwide for a long time. So a lot of immigrants would come to Manchester, New Hampshire, and work in our mills, and certainly we got a lot from Canada. And the West Side had all the French Canadians. But the Greeks, I just, I don't know, I just uh, bonded to their culture a little bit. And every year during Glendy, I go to the church, St. George Church, and I dance the Greek song, you know, dances. I pretend I'm Greek, and it's just a lot of fun. Good food. Uh, my friend Ted and I actually, before we came to the radio station today, had some Greek food. <laughs> But I really, really do appreciate John writing this book because I think it's important what he said about mentorship. As a hospital CEO, I had... Um, the great privilege to give people opportunity in the hospital business. I, you know, my CFO, I took her from within the ranks because I saw her talent, right? It's all about the talent, the drive. And then I tried to pull it out. She was a little skittish at first. I don't think I could do a big job like that. Of course, you don't want to force anybody, but I was able to convince her she had what it took. And it was raw talent. And I was there to mentor her in that. I have to say a lot of we, we get a lot of pre pleasure out of being leaders. And one of the biggest one is mentoring other people, giving them the opportunity and watching them shine. I don't like the old way of leadership that used to be patriarchal, where the top person knew all the information. They didn't want to share information because they were afraid to get shown up. 
I'm of a whole different elk where I want the smartest people around me. I want to share everything so we run smoothly. We have good communication. When things don't go well, we can sit as professionals and talk about it. You know, it's like we talked about on yesterday's show, systems thinking. When we look at the derailment in East Palestine, there was two different opportunities before the final alarm went about the heat on that axle. But they didn't have it programmed to alarm. And that's a pretty simple fix, right? They learned from this that the first time they saw a change in the temperature, 18 degrees above the ambient area, maybe that should have had an alarm. And that's when the train should have been stopped before it derailed. So we should always, always not being afraid of failure. What we want to do is learn from failure and move on from that. Well, let's take another caller. How about Charles? I like the name Charles. My daddy's name is Charles. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. I'm calling about the uh, to, uh, what seems to be bioterrorism from uh, in within China. Yes. That, um, I, there was a conspiracy that uh, Bill Gates and the U.S. Army had something to do with putting that into Wuhan, but uh, either way, it sounds like bioterrorism, and uh, the U.S. has yet to find out what all of the uh, Chinese mammoth weather balloons (coughs) are doing all over Latin America and South America and... um, Yeah, when they launched those balloons, the one that we allowed to go through our country, over our military bases in Montana, um, you're right. There was also balloons launched in other countries. And, you know, in some ways, I can see our government not saying everything, right? Especially if we discover something we don't want China to know we know. I can kind of understand some secrecy, right? When it comes to strategy, if we put everything out on the airwaves, you know, we don't have anything. So you have to keep some things close to the chest, But the lack of transparency with everything, even what now is being theorized, we uh, shot up a $12 hobby balloon, you know, like if that happened, like, let us know. But they keep, you know, giving us cryptic messages. I still will never to my dying day understand why we did not blow up that spy balloon over the Aleutian Islands. I, I, I don't understand how we can allow it. It literally was um, controllable. So when it started going in Montana and over where we have missiles, um, it literally turned and went back around it. And it was closer to the ground than satellites. It was 60,000 feet. So they got some good aerial uh, pictures. They have a, and it was real time, you know, going back to China. It's not like, oh, we blew up the balloon. We blew up all the information it brought. Uh Uh-uh. That was going back in real time. And now we don't even have it, right? It's on the bottom of an ocean. The other little balloons, we can't find it. It's in the wilderness in Yukon. So maybe we'll never know. But please stay with us. Coming back, I know you miss Rudy Giuliani. Mayor's final thoughts. I'll give you mine when you return. And now it's time for the Tunnel to Towers Foundation. Mayor's final thoughts. The Mayor's Final Thoughts are sponsored by the Tunnel to Towers Foundation. 
donate $11 a month to Tunnel to Towers at T2T.org. As you know, Mayor Giuliani is off today. I am Dr. Maria, and my final thoughts today have to be about our future, America's future. We all want what's best for our children. That's why the issue of education is so important to me. In 2015, when I first read the Pew report on where we stood in education, especially with math and science, and we were like in the 50th percentile, I said, you're kidding me. There's countries that are above the United States in mathematics, even places like Vietnam and not to put down Vietnam, but Vietnam was better than us in mathematics, Taiwan better than us in reading. Estonia better than us in science. And I was really disturbed. So I started working on an education plan that would combine education and health that we would not only teach academics at the highest level and the highest standards we could, but we also teach social graces, how to take care of yourself, get back to the cooking class. Making out a checkbook, of course, nobody does that anymore but me. I'm still old-fashioned with the checkbook. But really keeping those standards high. What's been happening in American education is dummying down. In my education plan, I looked up in, I think it was in 1880, in Kansas. Every year to get to the next grade, you would have to pass a test. So I had a sample of an eighth grade end of year test. As a little fun thing, I started circulating that test to some people and college graduates with big degrees couldn't answer most of the test questions. They are our future. If someone's struggling in, in school, we do remedial lessons. We don't pull every everything back. Who's going to take care of us? Just think about it. Who's going to be flying the planes? Who's going to be taking care of us? Who's going to be making decisions in the future? People don't even know how to debate with facts anymore. They debate with emotion. Remember debate class in high school? You got extra points. The more good arguments you had that were based on facts, whether it was previous court cases. But what's happened to our children? I want to ensure that all children have the best education so they can be all that they can be for themselves, for their family, and for society. We need to pass down the right wisdom and the right values to the next generation. But far too many activists who make up this, I don't know, modern woke left, I don't even know what to call them. I don't even get them. They want to hold back future generations for what? Selfish reasons, short-sighted, Marxist theories. We can't allow this to happen. We have to put these children above all else. They are our future. We need to work with the parents because it's not all up to teachers. Parents have um, a stake in this too. They should be assuring that kids know the basics before they enter first grade. They're ABCs, general math. How to read. And then teachers from there, and teachers work with the parents for after school. But let's keep our children as 
the future in our main objective. Thank you for allowing me to host the Rudy Giuliani Show. Rudy will be back tomorrow, and stay tuned with us on Sundays, 10 a.m. Eastern Time, WABCRadio.com.